0: Welcome to Pathfinder Academy. Class is now in session. Here are your professors, Caleb and Christian. Hello class, you may be seated. Today, Pathfinder 102, Skills Detail. What are skills? Skills are your character's way of interacting with the world. It's the things that your character can do. Can your character roll around? Can he jump? Can he lie to people really well? Is he good at picking pockets? Can he kick pigs? Can he (laughs) kick pigs? (laughs) Uh, Your class is going to define how good you are at combat, and it's also going to define the skills you're better at than others. That's right. On your character sheet, you'll see, like, an ungodly amount of things on your list of skills. You're like, what are all these things? I don't understand. What should I roll? Is each thing different? Relax. First off, calm down. Why are you so excitable? I'm getting tired of this. Look, Listen, Johnny, every time we play, you freak out. You played for three years. You know what a skill is. First off, just relax. It's just a bunch of words on a piece of paper. <laughs> I don't understand what it means, all right? D20. You always roll a D20 for whatever skill you're going to do. There. Bam. I just solved your problem. Don't ask me again. It's a d20. But you don't have to roll a d20. You can take a 10. Some classes are going to be better at skills than other classes. Anyone can do any skill. If you're a druid, you can still put points into sleight of hand. You're just not necessarily good at it. Someone like a rogue... Is someone that does that more regularly Slay a hand for a rogue is what's called a class skill class skills are defined for every class and it's just a series of skills that that class is slightly more used to doing than the other classes so numerically that just means that start of the game the first point they put into that class it counts for 3 instead of 1 when you put a point into a skill you increase um, you increase its modifier And so you put one point in, you get plus one. You put two points in, you get plus two. But when it's a class skill, the first point you point in, you get four. The rank you put in, plus three. And then everyone on there is just a plus one. Um, There's other things that go into calculating what your skill uh, modifiers are. And each of these skills are based off of one of your ability scores. For instance, dexterity. If you have a high dexterity, you know, manual dexterity, you're limber, you're agile, you're going to be better at things like acrobatics and sleight of hand, stealing from other people. Whereas you're not going to be as good at intimidate, which would be a charisma-based stat. Right. So if my modifier is plus two on dexterity, sleight of hand, I automatically start with a plus two before putting any points. Correct. All right. That means that if you were, say, a rogue, and you put one point into it, you get the one rank. Mm-hmm. You'd get your three for being a class skill, mm-hmm. and you'd get your two for being uh, having high dexterity. So a when, total of plus six. So when somebody says, "How come this rogue is so good at sleight of hand?" Now you know because you, Mr. Druid, had to put one point in, and you only got one. He puts one point in, and all of a sudden he's he's stealing things right out of the lich's back pocket. And oh no, where'd my philanthropy go? <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have kept it with my body. I'm such an idiot. Why was in the back pocket? That's the sucker pocket. Didn't you know? just idiots. We did mention uh, skill points. Uh, What exactly are skill points? That's something else that's defined by your class. You get a certain number of skill points per level to distribute into your skills. The amount of skill points you get is determined by both your class and how high of an intelligence score you have, because intelligent characters can learn things faster and they can learn more things. That's right. Check out our episode, Pathfinder 107 Character Creation, and we'll give you exactly how you put in the stats to, to level up your skills and what exactly goes into that. For now, we're just going to talk about what each of these skills do. So later on, when you do make your character, you know what you want to be good at. So our first skill is acrobatics. Acrobatics is a dexterity skill, and your armor check penalty applies. What that means is that acrobatics, the higher dexterity you have, the better you are at it. What the armor check penalty means is that if you're wearing heavy armor that's restrictive, you're going to take a penalty on this check based on how restrictive that armor is. Um, That restriction is listed on the armor. It'll be a little column that says armor check penalty that'll range from anywhere from minus one to minus you know 10 if you're wearing full plate so basically if you want to be someone tumbling around don't wear heavy armor acrobatics on its face is a pretty simple skill it's so you can keep your balance while traversing narrow or treacherous surfaces dive flip jump and roll to avoid attacks and obstacles But you're going to see it actually is a a lot more complicated than you might at first suspect. (laughs) Yeah, it's a shame that this is the first one because it's a very overloaded skill. There's a lot of really niche rules involved with acrobatics. Mm -hmm. But in general, what you need to know is that it's your ability to jump horizontally, your ability to jump vertically, your ability to, you know, tumble, dive, and flip. Right. Uh, You can use acrobatics to move on narrow surfaces and on even ground Mm -hmm. without falling. Uh, The check... For that depends on the width of the surface you're going on. If it's greater than three feet wide, its check is zero. So you don't even need to make the check, you just walk across. Unless you have a negative. <laughs> That's right. If it's one to three feet wide, the check is five. Seven to eleven inches wide, ten. Two to six inches wide, fifteen. And less than two inches wide, twenty. This is personally something that I don't think I've ever seen used, except for one time I put a balance beam in a carnival. Oh, that's good. <laughs> like this is something that like you'd see in a video game. This happens right. a lot, like someone sidling along an edge or going across a beam. But maybe those, if you're fighting like on a cliff face or something. Yeah, like I find it, this is re- something really difficult to implement in you know Pathfinder kind of okay. tabletop role-playing games because you can't really paint the whole environment. And generally, out like falling that. comes with a lot of damage. So yeah. failing this one check is going to screw you over, right? This is a pretty niche use of the ability, but just do know that you can use it to go across thin ledges. Mm-hmm. In addition, you this is something that like, I think is important, and I don't think a lot of people know. I didn't know until very recently. You can move through a threatened square without provoking the attack of opportunity from an enemy by using acrobatics. Right. This used to be called tumbling in 3.5. It had its own skill separate from jumping. Um, it's your uh, obviously your ability to tumble past someone. You do a cartwheel. You know, you kind of spin by, and they don't get to attack you. Mm-hmm. This is a this is a very very difficult thing to do in Pathfinder. This is what I think a lot of people confuse uh, like a reflex so- save or the dodge feature for. Right. Uh, those things are separate. This is kind of what you're looking for when you say those things generally. So what you're going to do is you're going to make an acrobatics check. And when you make this acrobatics check, if you succeed, you can move half your speed, up to half your speed, past somebody without invoking the attack of opportunity. Mm-hmm. You can try and move your full speed, but it's going to increase the DC of this check by 10. Um, and you choose which one beforehand. You don't just say, oh, I beat it by 10, now I'm running. You choose right. beforehand. Mm-hmm. Uh, to move through threatened area, you have to roll equal to their, your opponent's combat maneuver defense, or mm-hmm. CMD. And it moved through an enemy space, which is something I thought you never could do. Right. It's five plus their CMD. So you can move straight, you can like dive under the legs or something, but it's a little bit harder. Yeah, it's a cool thing, like slide into the legs, like you see like in all those, uh, uh, all those like, uh, Thief movies where the yeah. girls in a black cat suit and she slides underneath their back, you know, just because to show the cleavage because that's Hollywood. Uh, you could do that. Much more difficult to paint that picture <laughs> with words. <laughs> you, just or you come can... off as a creeper. <laughs> <laughs> you can you can pull a Zorro and like you know grab onto them, do a cartwheel over them, kind of thing. That's right. That's right. Uh, um, note that the opponent's combat maneuver defense. If they're not a wizard or something, you know, you're usually going to be fighting monsters and stuff is very, very high. This is actually, it doesn't seem so, but this is actually something that's very, very difficult to do and succeed at consistently. Mm-hmm. The, you know, average, you have a 50% chance unless you're pumping acrobatics like crazy. Right. At higher levels, this becomes even more difficult. But keep in mind, it is an option. It is something you can do. And if you do succeed at it, it's very, very helpful. If you fail this check, that means you you still move, but you invoke an attack of opportunity. The per- and it, the attack of opportunity resolves like normal. They try and hit your AC. If they do hit you while you're tumbling, though, you fall prone. And you have to stand up next turn if you want to do stuff. You can use acrobatics, again, while prone. But it's a four-round action. You have to just to move five feet, and the DC's increased by five. But you were talking earlier about if you fail... Uh, you don't lose the move action, but if you're trying to move through an enemy space and fail a check, you do lose the move action. Oh, right! And provoke an attack. About you, <laughs> you just want. bump into him. <laughs> like, yeah, Oops. yeah. He's like uh, like stiff <laughs> Like a kid when he's trying to try to punch you, just like stops you. Nope. Uh, nope. Uh, Get your cat cleavage out of here, (laughs) cat cat girl. Listen, all cat girls, he wants you to get the cat cleavage out of there. You can bring that over to my house. Uh, Finally, you can use the acrobatic skill to make jumps or to soften a fall. Now, a horizontal jump is very, very easy. As long as you have a running start, however much your um. Check is, is how many horizontal feet you jump. So if you roll acrobatics and you get a 10, that means you jump horizontally 10 feet. Mm-hmm. If you get a 20, you jump horizontally 20 feet. Yep. It's increments of five, obviously, because that's the way we measure speed. Uh, movement is always by five feet increments. Yes. Um If you are not running, though, this DC is a uh, plus five. That's so right. basically it is, you're, you, if you're not running your acrobatics, how far you go is your acrobatics check minus five. If you fail a check by 4 or less, you can attempt a DC 20 reflex save to grab hold of the other side after having missed the jump. If you fail by 5 or more, you fail to make the jump and fall. Yeah, there's a lo- There's a slew of complicated rules that go with if you don't if you miss the jump and you don't make a gap to grab the ledge. They're they're very complicated and it's typically hand-waved. To jump vertically it is much more difficult. <laughs> four times the height to be reached in D C. So you jump try to jump five feet in the air then you're doing twenty. Yeah. Um, which now is that sense also you want people jumping sixty feet in the air. <laughs> I think that is also subject to uh running. You also need the running for that too. No jump can allow you to exceed your maximum movement for that round. Yeah, so if you only move if you're say a gnome in heavy armor and you make a DC, you know, twenty acrobatics check. Uh, A gnome in heavy armor only has a 15-foot move speed, so you can move a maximum of 15 feet. Right. That's a pretty niche rule, but, you know, just in case that ever happens. So if you don't have at least 10 feet of space to get a running start, the DCs double for all of these, including the horizontal and vertical. So for the horizontal one, I was wrong. It would be half of your check is how many horizontal feet you move if you were not running. Right. When you deliberately fall any distance, even as a result of a missed jump, A DC 15 acrobatics skill check allows you to ignore the first 10 feet fallen, although you still end up prone if you take damage from a fall. Right. So uh, normally if you fall from 20 feet and you don't make any sort of check, you take 2d6 damage, 1d6 for every 10 feet. If you make this DC 15 acrobatics check, you kind of jump down. You jump yourself down instead of falling. You ignore the first 10 feet, so you still take 1d6 damage. There's many different things that can affect your chance at successfully completing an acrobatics check. A lot of it's like weather or how the surface is. Uh, You can just look up that table. We don't want to go through, do we? No. You know, if there's sand, it's harder to run. Right. If there's gravel and stuff, it's harder to run. Things like that. If there's an earthquake, it's going to be difficult to balance on a balance beam. The modifiers stack with one another, but only the most severe modifier for any one condition of life. Acrobatics does depend on your move speed a bit. The base move speed for most races is 30 feet. And that's kind of like the average For every 10 feet faster than 30 that your character moves, you get a plus 2 on acrobatics checks. Conversely, if you have less than 30 feet moving speed, if you say have, say, 20 foot move speed, then you take a minus 2 on all jumping acrobatics checks. A couple special scenarios. If you have 3 more ranks in acrobatics, you gain a plus, a plus 3 dodge bonus to AC when fighting defensively instead of the usual plus 2. And it plucks a plus six dodge bonus to AC when taking the total defense action instead of the usual plus four. Like we said, this is a bit of an overloaded ability, but it's in general useful to have. Most a lot because that's special. That bonus to fighting defensively or total defense is actually a very big deal. How many points would you put into this? If I'm a dexterous character, I, I put at least three to get that special bonus to fighting defensively. But otherwise, you know, I'll probably get like to a plus 10, plus 15, and probably not put much more. This isn't something that comes up a lot. You know, you're not mm-hmm. typically jumping from place to place, because again, that's more video gaming, and it's difficult right. to portray that in Pathfinder. You'll see Master Chief jumping all the time. <laughs> right, yeah, there's no bunny hopping. And also, this is something that is invalidated by magic. Mm-hmm. You know, later in the campaign, you're going to have methods of running fast, jumping high, and flying. So acrobats in general mm-hmm. will become less useful. I would think, though, if you're the kind of person that wants to get past threatened area squares a lot, it's worth it. Max it. If you want to be tumbling a lot, you have to very much focus on acrobatics. Just something that kind of fits well for somebody like the rogue. Yeah. Who's trying to flank somebody, and often you're going to have to go through some attacks of opportunity to do it. And you already get bonuses to your acrobatics anyway. Shove that up pretty high. Yeah, I say max it, have high dex, and heck, even get items that increase your acrobatics or tumbling in specific, because that's a very hard DC to the, make. But the person who's not really into that... I would just say make sure it's not a negative in case you ever do have to make a jump. Yes. There's those once-in-a-while scenarios where the only way you get through is to jump over a gap. And you don't want to be the dwarf in full plate with a minus five to acrobatics. It's like, guys, <laughs> guys, wait for me. Way to get over that, though, I mean, take off your armor, throw it across, then jump. It's a good solution. If you, a, if, know. if you got enough space to do that, if your DM won't get mad at you. And if your dwarf doesn't mind being in the nude. That's right. I think you keep your clothes on, not lose any bonuses. <laughs> Um, Who says I wear anything under my full plate? <laughs> it's like I got a kind of thing for dwarfs. You gotta take off your, all your clothes, but I think this is fine. Nope, that, that underwear's the wind resistance. You're gonna have to throw that over. I'm a scientist. Oh, me. did I drop it down the cliff? Oh no! Where's your underwear? <laughs> oh, I see where you're at, Christian. I see where you're at. I understand you completely. Appraise. So, appraise is an intelligence based skill, and this is your ability to determine the worth of material objects. Hey, you just. Looted this dragon's hoard and you found this green gem. What is it worth? It is not your ability to appraise the situation. It's specifically your ability to tell the value of items you find. The check for appraise is always DC twenty. And if you guys remember, DC means it means uh, difficulty class. It's the number you gotta beat. You know, get equal to or beat to be successful. So it's a DC twenty to determine the value of a common item. If you get twenty five or more. You actually can determine whether or not the item's magical, uh, though you don't—you're not able to determine what exactly the magic is, but you can tell it's magical. If your check doesn't meet the DC and it's under by at least five, then you just can't tell as accurately the price of the item. It's going to be about 20% off, and then it gets lower the lower you roll on the dice. So you roll a 15, you're going to be like 20% off of its actual value. Uh, you know, if you roll a 10 or less, it's going to be like wildly inaccurate. Um, you can increase the DC depending if the item's rare or exotic. Yeah, get like 25 or something. Uh, Action-wise, it only takes a standard action uh, to determine the value of an object. And determine the most valuable object okay. in a treasure hoard will take a, a full round action. You know, this is only... Really, I, mean, I don't see very often in combat I'm going to be using my actions to determine the value of things. We're just going to do this outside of combat. Yeah? Exactly. So the fact that it's a standard or full round action doesn't really matter unless, for instance, you woke up the dragon, you want to snag the most valuable thing and run out of there. Christian, can I try this again? If I fail the check... And I determined this five million gold piece, uh, this five million gold piece crystal is worth three gold. Can I try this again? It will always reveal the same result of your first check. If your first okay. check is incorrect, even if you do it second time, get the higher number, Right. it won't do anything for you. So technically, no. You just check once, and then, you know, you stick with that. Now, five different people can try it. Yes. And then, you know, whoever had the best result, believe them. <laughs> the dwarf goes, this is definitely worth three gold. Uh, Actually, uh, Smitty, this is worth five million gold. Well, I don't trust an elf because I'm a generic fantasy character, and I'm a dwarf and you're an elf. And there's racism. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, it's worth as a skill. Sometimes you wonder if it's worth putting points in this stuff. Appraise isn't a bad skill. It's a flat DC. It's always at DC 20 or 25 to determine it's magical. So you don't have to get the points very high so you can take a 10 and then always succeed at the 20. Mm-hmm. There are um, things in the game that make the whole determining whether or not it's magic not particularly useful. Any spellcaster, any arcane spellcaster, can detect whether an item is magical at will. Mm -hmm. So that's not a particularly useful thing. Put a couple points in appraise so you don't get gypped out of stuff, so you don't find a really rare item, miscalculate its price, and then sell it for cheap. Mm -hmm. But don't go full out, like, I'm the appraise master. Right. Uh, You'll remember we mentioned in the last episode about taking 10 and taking 20, where you can treat it as if you roll the 10 or roll the 20. Appraise is something I wouldn't mind taking 20 on all the time. It's only a standard action, so... 20 times 6 seconds is a math amount of seconds. (laughs) It's two minutes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, honestly, I would put maybe five, put it up to where you got a plus five to it, just in case you get a more rare item so you can get a 25 on it. But more than that, I think it's kind of a waste. Five is about the max. If you 10, if you are expecting always to find really rare loot, maybe put 10. But nothing more than that. And I wouldn't take any feats or anything that make you really good at appraisal. I don't even know if there's any. Like, I wouldn't skill focus the skill. Yeah, no. No, Do not take skill focus (laughs) appraisal. Unless you're like the stockbroker for the thieves guild or something like that if you do i'll give you mad props for 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 being so bold as to waste an entire maybe you shouldn't be an adventurer if this is the most important (laughs) thing to you that's right we're gonna do a whole campaign where i'm at home praising things (laughs) ventures come to me with all their stuff and i go that's worth this (laughs) i hire them they get the stuff i tell them how much it's worth i i live live the life (laughs) i have a zero i have a one strength a one dex a one con but my intelligence is through the roof i'm basically comatose physically <laughs> comatose what, what is this what is this skill uh, <laughs> 501 copper pieces <laughs> alright enough with the praise we talked too long about let's before. talk about bluff <laughs> um, oh, bluff that's a fun one it it's a, one of the fun skills it is it's a charisma based skill and uh, there's pretty much it's no how, you know how to tell a lie yes so um, bluff is one of those things where there's not a DC per se it's an oppose check when I say oppose that means you're opposing somebody else's skill so you're going to roll your bluff, and it opposes sense motive. The other person who you're trying to lie to, they roll sense motive. Whoever has the better number wins. This is one of the few cases where a tie is a failure. You have to get above the person's sense motive. Yeah, you have to explicitly exceed their sense motive to bluff them. Uh, there's some modifiers involved here. Uh, you can get a plus five if the target wants to believe you. If the lie is believable, you get a plus zero, which... Kind of sounds weird, but that means, okay, you did a good job lying. Here you go. Uh, You don't have any detriment. If the lie's unlikely, you get a minus 5. It's far-fetched, 10, minus 10. If the lie's impossible, minus 20. But if the target is drunk or impaired, you get a plus 5. And if you possess convincing proof, you can get up to 10 at the GM's discretion. This table is in the book, but just to note, I personally have never looked at it or considered it. Mm -hmm. Those are just things you automatically consider when someone's telling a lie. They're going to run around saying, I'm what made the dinosaurs go extinct. People aren't going to believe them. Whereas if you're trying to do a really, really simple lie, you know, obviously people are going to be more believable than that. Yeah, what I do, and again, this isn't official, but what I do is I, I have the person act it out. And if their lie is believable, then I let them roll. And I don't do any modifiers at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, I throw modifiers out the window. It's either you can or you can't, depending on whether your lie is actually believable to me. And I make that that discretion. But if you want to use the rules as written, this will help. Um, There's something else you can do with bluff. Fainting in combat, which basically means you're pump faking them. You make, as a standard action, a bluff check. If you beat a DC of 10 plus your opponent's base attack bonus plus their wisdom modifier, then you successfully fainted them, which means that the next time you attack them, they're going to be flat-footed because they can't really dodge your attack because now you know how they're going to dodge. If they do have sense motive, then the DC is just 10 plus their sense motive. Yeah, if that would be higher than the other DC. Uh, Fainting is a very, very difficult thing to do in Pathfinder since it scales with base attack bonus. Because enemies typically will have very high BAB. So unless you're very focused in fainting, it is difficult to do. Right. This is one of those skills where uh, I'd say as you level up, it's smart, if you want to be a good bluffer, to continue to put points in. Because it is going to be more and more difficult to feign them. If you're talking about feinting. If you're talking about just trying to tell a lie. If you're going rules as written, the DC here. Is scaling. scaling. So you should still put points in in that case because it's always getting harder to bluff people as they get smarter. That's right. So this is one of the ones you want to keep putting points in as you level up. Um, there's another thing you can do with bluff is you can pass secret messages along to other characters without um, other people who are listening in, understanding the true meaning of you, uh, you know, passing. Uh, I mean, pretty much this is your – this is Inuit Heroes, so I'm a joke about that. Um, <laughs> it's a strange one to consider, but I had something happen once where we were waiting for an assassin – and only one person could see them because they could see invisibility. It turns out the assassin was invisible, and most people didn't know while he was approaching. So they passed a secret message. And what they said was something like, you know, there's a breeze approaching the target. Like, is it, is it breezy in here or something like that? That was a secret message, which then we understood since they beat the DC-15 as this person is invisible. Right. Or I think it was actually a DC-20 because that's kind of a complicated thing to convey. And what Christian's referring to there is is the DC's 15 for simple messages to to pass complex messages is 20. It's a pretty niche use of the ability, but it does exist. And if you fail by five or more, you pass the wrong message. The people listening in can make an opposed sense motive check against your bluff result. Weird. So the first check... They, They basically sense motive against what you said. So the first check is to pass the message. You make the same check... You make one check. If it's above 15, then you succeed at doing that. Right. But other people can oppose sense motive. Gotcha. To see if they also understand what you were saying. Gotcha. Makes sense. Attempting to see if somebody takes one round... Uh, and possibly longer if the lie is elaborate. But the amount I let my players talk during combat anyway, I, you know, I usually do a free action. What kind of bluff are you going to? Well, I shouldn't say that. There's a lot of ways you can try and lie to someone in combat. So that's actually a pretty interesting use. I kind of pause combat if they're going to have, like, speak to the guys, like, the the enemy for a moment. Like, I know sometimes they're like, hey, listen, we don't have to fight anymore. I'll kind of pause combat for a second to have a conversation. Personally, it's my, it's what I do. But if you want to stick to actions, it's a standard action or right, uh, that says one round at least one round Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. One so right. that would, I guess that would be a four-round action. Uh, feigning in combat to standard action and using bluff to deliver a secret message takes twice as long as the message would otherwise take to relay. So it's usually a free action. Yeah, that's a strange one. It's a double free action. I, I, I New know. actions! <laughs> <laughs> I think you uh, you shouldn't really be... It's weird to use secret message in combat, I guess. But it is a thing. Yeah. yeah it'd be cool to do that. I guess it's for, like, if you're getting really serious, like, in, like I let my guys, when we're playing out of combat, say, uh, John, use fireball those guys are grouped together in real combat you wouldn't say that because the guys would ungroup together <laughs> so if you want to like really be intense you would do it through a secret message Right. now suppose that i was at the bar and i lied and said that i'm a really nice guy and she didn't believe me if i want to try and tell that lie again can i do that you can but you get it you have to do it at a minus 10 penalty okay i'm really confident i can do it this time though oh that's great <laughs> minus 11 for questioning me <laughs> <laughs> um See, and you can attempt to feign against someone again if you fail without penalty, and secret messages can be relayed again if the first attempt fails without penalty. So about climb, this is a strength based skill, and an armor check penalty does apply. Armor check penalty pretty much means if you wear armor, you get a penalty to the skill. The heavier the armor, the bigger the penalty. We'll go in more detail later on when we talk about character building. Right. Just it's, the heavier the armor you have, the clunkier it is, the harder you're going to have, you know, climbing up on the side of a mountain. Right, which is what we're talking about here, climbing. With a successful climb check, you can climb things, pretty much. A climb check that uh, – there's a there's a table you can look up with, you know, some DCs. It just makes sense. The harder the surface, the smoother it is. If it's oiled, it gets more difficult. More grips, more handholds, just the you know something that has like little hooks, or whatever. It's easier. The DC is lower, and, and that's totally up to the DM. He made the fortress you're trying to climb up. He's gonna know what the walls look like, so he'll make the DC for that, or he'll look it up if he doesn't know for sure. Right. There are three common things that you do want to to uh, remember that will modify the DC. One is if you have something where you can brace yourself up against, like two opposite walls, like a chimney. Um, another thing is if you can brace against uh, a corner where you have like perpendicular walls. oh sorry the chimney you get minus 10 uh if you can you feel a corner where walls perpendicular you you get minus five to the dc and if the surface is slippery you actually get a plus five you know making it harder so make sure guys to line your acid pits with slippery walls so no one can get out and they burn to death forever (laughs) um now when you succeed at a climb check it doesn't mean that you climb whatever you were attempting to climb for instance if you make a successful climb check against a 20-foot wall you don't get up the whole 20 feet everyone has a climb speed Mm. which is i believe one-fourth of their movement speed right so typically you can only move for a regular race about five feet up a wall every time you make a climb check so once you get up that five feet you have to make another climb check then you have to make another climb check if you fail any of those checks by four or less then you just make no progress you don't fall but you make no progress if you fail by five or more that means you're going to fall from whatever you're climbing on right so this means you're not climbing a mountain all by yourself unless you're waiting to sit and make about 500 different climb checks yes yeah. <laughs> or you have a phenomenal check that can never fail mm-hmm. you can climb faster uh, by accepting a minus five penalty to whatever the check is you just move at uh half your speed instead of one quarter of your speed. You can make your own handholds and footholds take about a minute per python and... What is a python? I don't even know. Paton. Oh, paton. I didn't know that's how it's hospital Anyway, <laughs> uh, it takes about one minute per paton and one paton is needed for five feet of distance. Listen, it's it's like detailed, complicated rules that I myself don't use. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean I, if, I, if, I, if I'm a player who told me they wanted to, I would let them, but I'm not volunteering this information them in, because it's kind of boring. I'm not going to sit there and be like, okay, it took you exactly five minutes for you to put this many batons. Right, just, right. Um, it's gonna take so long for you to do it. Right. The whole point of that is just to kind of lower the DC on a harder surface to put these batons in. Now they- I did. I did mention that you can cut yourself. Did I mention that? I don't think so. So I mentioned that you can fail a climb check and start falling. Right. You can try to catch yourself. It is actually a climb check in order to attempt to do that. It's the DC of the wall you are climbing plus 20. So it's pretty hard to do. So it's impossible. (laughs) Basic. If something says it's DC plus 20, it's almost impossible. Right. Unless you're on a slope, then it's, uh, the, the slope's DC plus 10. Now, if your ally next to you starts falling, you can attempt to catch them. There's a lot of complicated rules that go along with that, but it does involve making a climb check at one point. So if you ever think you're going to run into that situation, make sure you put points in the climb. But be careful because if you fail the roll by five or more, Uh, Not only do you fail to stop the characters from falling, but you begin falling as well. But then my other ally can catch me, right? (laughs) You've got a chain of like 900 people. It's like, I can't hold you all. (laughs) You have the guy at the bottom and he's cutting his own rope. No, John, don't do it. I have to save you all. No. Climbing is usually a move action. I mean, you're moving. Catching yourself or another character it doesn't take an action. One of the few things I've seen, it doesn't take an action. Now, the, it's important to note that if you're a race that happens to have a climb speed, off the top of my head, I know cat folk, there's a racial trait where they can get a climb speed. Right. If you're something that's listed with a climb speed, you get a racial plus eight on all climb checks. Having a climb speed means that you don't have to make arbitrary checks, and when you do have to make Special circumstance checks, then you get a plus 8 on top of whatever you have in, in climb. Normally, you can't take 10 or 20 while you're being, uh, while you're in a rush or being threatened. But if you do have a climb speed, you can take 10 even if you're uh, rushed or threatened while climbing. And if you choose an accelerated climb, you can move at double your climb speed. You also retain your dexterity bonus to armor class while climbing. So, now, question. Is this the kind of class that I want to continue to put points in as I level up? Or is there, like, a limit once I reach this threshold I should stay? Everything's listed as flat DCs. Certain things get harder. The harder the highest DC they have on the table is a DC thirty, which is pretty tough. So you're gonna need to put points in it for a while if you're gonna be really good at climbing stuff. Stuff. Right. Just keep in mind that there are items and spells in the game that can make you fly. That makes this spell kind, of, this skill kind of useless. That's right. Uh, yeah. You don't want to spend. You have level twenty. I put points in a climb every time. I have a plus twenty to my climb now and uh well we're level 20 and our wizard's giving everybody fly every five seconds you know you want to feel wasted but it's something where there is a threshold but by the time you reach that threshold you're you're high level anyway lower levels you are going to want it because no one can fly yet right well maybe not you Uh, (laughs) Uh, i'm not a witch i'm sorry craft is an intelligence-based skill and that's all we're going to tell you now next no craft is an intelligence-based skill And this is pretty much your ability to craft different objects, you know, weapons, armor, magical items, depending on your feats. Yeah, you can really choose anything. There's a long list given in the book, and you can make up your own. They have stuff like basket weaving, calligraphy, <laughs> right? things like that. It's, it's your ability to create objects of whatever craft you choose. And the effort it takes to learn all the rules, you could actually learn to basket weave in real life by the time you figure them all out. Yeah. We're going to cover them all in the extra credit. They're pretty complicated, and it's based on what you're making and... Whether or not it's magical and the gold cost of the item you're yep, making, yep. it's a very, very wordy set of rules. But it is important because there are some classes that get craft certain things as their class feat, just giving it to them. Uh, I think like uh, Alchemist. Alchemist, Jinx. <laughs> uh, so we definitely are going to go that in extra credit. As well as uh, Gunslinger. They can craft guns. That's they right. They can craft guns. That's right. Gunsmithing. Um, the only thing you really want to know off the top of your head about craft is that when you craft something in general... Whenever you craft, say I craft an iron uh, longsword, it's half the cost to craft it as it would cost me to buy it. Right. So that's the benefit of taking a crafting fee. Yeah, if you can craft a magical item or if you can craft a mundane item, you're basically saving half the money at the cost of however long it takes to make the object. Or if you have a jerk GM who, like, never has the magic item in the store that you want. Like, I really want a ring of feather falling. Well, do you now? <laughs> Guess what item will never be in any store that you visit? Damn it, I'm taking craft wonders item now. I'm making my own ring of feather falling with blackjack and hookers. <laughs> <laughs> Diplomacy. This is a charisma-based skill. You can use skill to persuade others to agree with your arguments. Resolve differences. Boy, I wish we could do that for player differences. <laughs> and to gather valuable information or rumors from people. This is pretty much... How much people like you, basically. Right. I want this guy to agree to do this thing for me. Roll diplomacy. Now, this time, it is not an opposed role. There are flat DCs to try and make people friendly to you mm-hmm. or try and help you with stuff. And it depends on how they start viewing you. For instance, if you run into an enemy somewhere, they're going to be hostile. It's going to be very hard to make them like you and do what you want to say right that's why i don't like christian very much exactly i try but his dc is 25 plus his charisma modifier and his charisma is through the charts people have you met this guy so i could just never convince him to do anything Yeah, sorry. but hostile creatures do have a dc of 25 and this is all plus your creatures charisma modifier uh unfriendly 20 indifferent 15 friendly 10 and if they're helpful zero and the gm decides you know how they start Remember, this isn't mind control. If someone's helpful, that doesn't mean they're going to go risk their life and limb for you. It just means that they're basically a friend and they're willing to, you know, do some favors or something. Yeah, that's a good point. This is one that's very up to GM Fiat. You can also use it to gather information. Actually making a request of this person after you've changed his attitude towards you is pretty much the same DC with certain modifiers that you can look up on the table. So that's two different roles, one to make them friendly and then one to make the request. Just an example, you can look up this table later, but just as an example, to give simple aid, the DC is plus zero. But to give, you know, uh, aid that could result in punishment, you add 15 to the DC, or more mm-hmm. even more, depending on how, how much punishment they might get. Yeah. So if you want, like, uh guard you persuaded to help you do something that a guard captain might not like, then that's probably going to be a right. DC 15+. I mean, it's illegal and punishable by, like, 15 years in prison. Yeah. It's going to be harder to get them, even if they're friendly. It's like asking your friend, hey, how you bury this body? <laughs> how good's your charisma? <laughs> you can also use diplomacy to gather information. You spend 1d4 hours talking to people around town, in taverns, at marketplaces, and so forth, and you ask them about a topic. What kind of topic you're gathering information about will determine the DC of this check. If it's pretty. Common known facts or, you know, local rumors, it's going to be like a DC 10. If it's something that's really obscure or kind of a secret, it might increase to 20. The DM has complete control over how hard this DC is going to be. You hear that a lot. Listen, we can chill the whole thing. You're lucky we're even let you play. Get over it. Uh, using diplomacy to influence a creature's attitude takes one minute of continuous interaction, which means if you sneeze, you start all over. No, I'm joking. This also means don't try to do this in combat. Yes. Uh, making a request of a teacher, or a teacher, you know. <laughs> We'll let you. Of uh, a creature takes one or more rounds of interaction, depending upon the complexity of the request. Using diplomacy to gather information takes 1d4 hours of work searching for rumors. Can I try this again, Christian? After 24 hours have passed. Ah. Uh, help me bury this body? No. Tomorrow. Christian, maybe. Want to help me carry this body? You've had a day to think about it. Come back tomorrow. It's getting pretty smelly. <laughs> You're right. You're right. <laughs> okay. Disable device. This is a dexterity based skill and armor check penalty does apply. And this is our first skill check that we've gone over that requires you to be trained. What does that mean? Oh my god, I don't know. What does that mean? I just asked you. You don't oh, know? I know. Don't worry. I don't know! <laughs> I'm, I was relying <laughs> on you, Christian! The whole thing's falling apart now! Now, my, ending this whole podcast. I'm done! Something that means you're trained in it, or you have to be trained in it to use it, means that, for instance, if I want to do a bluff check and I haven't put a point in a bluff, I can still attempt to do it. I roll one D20 and add my charisma modifier. Right. But for if I want to try and disable device, you know, disable a trap, if I don't have a rank in it, I cannot attempt it. Right. You need at least one rank in it. And it doesn't mean you even have plus one, because this is a dex mod, let's say your dex mod's minus one uh minus two. I put one point in it, it's now at minus one. But disable device is means you're skilled at disarming traps and opening locks. Also disabling simple mechanisms like wheels. You know, some woodcraft doors, things like that. You take the hinges off doors, fidge around with lanterns and things like that. This is one of the first checks we've gone over that's kind of made uh, secretly so that you don't necessarily know whether or not you succeeded. Basically, when you make checks in secret, it's just, so that the PC doesn't know whether they rolled good or bad, so they don't know how hard this check is. Like, they might have failed when they rolled a one, but they don't know that. Or they may have succeeded just because they rolled a two. It's mostly for failure. Like, if they fail, they don't know whether it's because the trap is really difficult or because they did really badly. I think it is. That way you're like, okay, oh, hey guys, hey, the axe isn't going to go off. We got to walk somewhere. Shing, you said the axe wasn't going off! Because if you fail by 5 or more, it go, something happens. Right, so, I so you'll know, know that. <laughs> if it, you know that, it just right. exploded. But otherwise, you're not going to know. <laughs> like, the DM rolls for you, and it's like, right. the trap goes off, but you don't know whether or not you succeeded or failed. Right, right. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. It exploded. <laughs> 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 the DC depends on how tricky the device is. Uh, it's 10 for a simple device. Tricky is 15. Difficult is 20. Extreme is 25. And each of these take increasingly amount of uh, more amount of time. Simple being one round, extreme being 2d4 rounds. If you fail by four or less, you fail, but you could try again. If you fail by five or more, something goes wrong. Which means it's a trap. You just triggered it. Uh-oh. Uh, if you attempt some sort of sabotage, you think the device is disabled. But it works normally. Hey, guys, move on through. This acid pit, don't worry about it. This floor, solid as a rock, solid as oh! Why did they oil the walls? My climb check is too low. No. <laughs> Why did we put an acid pit in the middle of our store? Larry, you said it was disabled. I didn't know the rules made with secret. <laughs> but the thing I've really seen most used for is opening up locks. Yeah, that's one of the big ones. If you want to open up locks, disable traps, you're going to want thieves' tools. Disabled device actually takes a penalty if you do not have tools in order to use the skill. And if it's you, a steep penalty. It's 10. You add yeah. 10. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> Basically, you're not succeeding without tools. And then when you do have the tools, you get a small bonus. If they're You can get masterwork tools. Yeah, they'll give you a bonus. And they'll give you a bonus on the check. So you want to grab tools first. Simple lock is DC 20 and go to a superior lock, which is a DC of 40. Now something special about this skill, something that's unique to it, is that if someone with trap finding beats a trap's DC by 10 or more when they're disabling it, they disabled it so well that now they have the time to study the trap, figure out how it works, and bypass it without disarming it. So basically you get a free pass by this trap. So it's like, hey guys, see this wire here? Or see the stone? Don't step on this. This is the stone that activates it. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's an option you have available, and you can tell your partners, hey, this is the stone. Don't step on this. Or, hey, there's a wire here. I know it's hard to see, but just step over it. And that way, if you guys guys got guys chasing you, the trap's going to work for you. Or really smart players can kind of rig it so, like, the next encounter you have, run away. Get past it because you know it's there. And they need be goblins, right? You're like, I'm going to get you. Oh, fell into the acid pit, which, of course, is the oils. Oils are slippery. It's walls, <laughs> right? Those goblins ain't got no chance. And if you look at the Corval book, there's plenty of pictures of goblins. There's one with, like an acid like, oh no. They love goblins. Paizo loves goblins. They're adorable. <laughs> um, now, this is a skill closely related to traps and such. And most people know that rogues have the ability called trap finding. Now, anyone could put points in disabled device to do the simple stuff. But if you don't have the trap finding feat, then you can't disarm magical traps. That's right. Which the DC is going to be a lot harder for magical traps. And only rogues can disarm them. And then mages can, say, detect them or dispel magic on them. But that's an entirely different issue. Yep. There's a couple spells, uh, like uh, fire trap, glyphs of warding, symbols, a bunch of symbols and teleportation circle that rogues can also disarm with a successful disabled device check. Is this the kind of thing that I want to put points in as I level up? or is Yes, that a- very much so. Okay. <laughs> Trap DCs are always going to be getting higher. It's not like you're just going to suddenly always run into, you know, your acid pit traps. The right. DM's is going to step it up. That's right. If you have a good DM, he's going to make it applicable to your level. If you're in a dungeon crawly tank type campaign, you definitely want to put traps in this because traps and dungeon crawls are a big staple right or if you have a, ba- a, a, a mean gm like me who likes to put your players in handcuffs and things uh you're gonna want to have a to be able to get out of that i can't tell you how many times my players have been in jail <laughs> not my fault so what kind of i'm not the one killing people in the town square okay just because he insulted you they, get over it they needed a higher diplomacy <laughs> to get them to hide That's the body right <laughs> you see it all comes around they didn't wait 24 hours to try again Disguise. It's a charisma-based skill, and it pretty much means you can change your appearance. I'm not me. I am Christian. (gasps) There's two Christians on this podcast. Um, That's going to be really hard. I'm going (laughs) to increase the DC by 10 because you're just not that beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, so disguise is one of those ones that's going to be an opposed check. Mm -hmm. It's going to be opposing your opponent's perception check. Right. Granted that the second someone sees you in a disguise, they don't immediately get a perception check to see it. It's only if you trigger them somehow. Oh, trigger warning. It's only if you tr- <laughs> It's only <laughs> if you somehow like make yourself very suspicious in what you're doing. If you're just disguised as someone, you walk down the street, unless mm-hmm. you like bump into someone or do something fishy, you shouldn't really trigger many perception checks against you. You know, there is the case of somebody who is like on alert and he is looking like... No one can get through this door unless they're a senator. That bodyguard is always on the lookout. He might get a, a check without yes. without you drawing any attention yourself. You're not on the list, but I'm beautiful. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you are. You're wait a second. No, you're not. You're ugly. <laughs> all right, this is interesting. This is a, this is a, this is a kind of a unique thing. You don't make different roles based on how many people are checking you out. Correct. You make one role, and they all try to be that role. It, you make the role when you put on the disguise. When you put on the disguise, you roll that number, and that number is now the DC that people have to beat in order to see through your disguise. This is another check that is made secretly, so that you can't be sure how good your disguise is. Just to go through some of the uh, modifiers for disguising, if you're changing a few minor details about yourself, like, say, hiding some scars, changing maybe slightly your skin complexion, things like that, you're going to get a plus five on your modifier because you're not really looking like an entirely different person. Right. You're just changing some small things about yourself. <laughs> if you want to disguise as a different gender, you take a minus two on your check. That's not a lot No, what you think about I it. just put on a belt of changed gender. You're good to go. Yeah. Can't take that off though. <laughs> if you want to be a different race, that's a minus two to your check. If you want to be a different age category, as in, you know, child or adult or young adult adult old elderly things like that it's going to be a minus two again but if you want to be a different size category try and disguise for instance if you are a human you want to disguise as a goblin for some reason you take a minus 10 that's a big one and these are cumulative if you are trying to be a different race gender and size you add all of those yes On top of that, people who are perceptioning your disguise, they might get bonuses based on how familiar they are with what you're disguised as. If you're disguised as the mayor, the mayor's assistant is going to get a bonus to recognizing you. The mayor's wife is going to get a big bonus to recognize you. That's right. If it's someone they just recognize on site, they're not intimate with, they just know them, what they look like, they're going to get a plus four on this check. If they're friends with the person, they're going to get a plus six. If they're close friends, they're going to get a plus 8. And if they're intimate, they get a plus 10. If that means any of you trying to look like Christian, I get a plus 10. <laughs> <laughs> he steals the blankets every night, guys. <laughs> you have no clue how annoying this is. I can't stand it. I cannot stand it. You should up your perception because my sight of hands pretty high. Uh, Christian, <laughs> Christian, don't worry. I have a California king size, but I promise you won't touch Christian. <laughs> <laughs> if any of you get that reference? I love you. Email the show with the email that I haven't disclosed. I didn't, so you can probably replace me at that point. It's My Brother, My Brother, and Me. It's a hilarious comedy podcast. Obviously, Three Brothers. That's so niche. Oh my know, god! Have you seen my brother? Uh, listened to my brother, my brother and me. No, very well, It's very good. You should. Listen oh wait, yeah, I thought you meant specifically your brother. I was like, what? No, 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 no! It's a podcast. They're really funny. They they take Yahoo questions and they uh this is all staying in by the way. They take Yahoo answers <laughs> questions and they take them seriously, <laughs> but they give like completely ridiculous answers. It's really good. Their advice is never actually actionable. Now these um, these perception check bonuses are only if you are trying to disguise as a specific person. If you're trying to look at, like, generic halfling number four, those bonuses don't apply to people because you're not trying to disguise as, you know, Larry Limchop, the halfling. You're just a generic halfling. Right. A person who fails a check trying to determine if you are, or just fails a perception check, they can't try again uh, for another hour. How long does it take to create a disguise? Uh, Creating a disguise is 1d3 times 10 minutes of work. There are spells you can use, like Disguise Self, that's going to make this however long it takes I to cast a instantaneous. spell. instantaneous. Yeah, yeah standard quick. action or whatever. Can you try again? Yeah, you could always redo a disguise, but you probably want to do it out of sight. And if you've already failed a check and you're trying to disguise at the same thing, it's probably gonna, not going to go very well. Right, they'll know. But and that kind of fits with you don't know what your check is, since it's made secretly. Right, so if you actually rolled a one when you do disguise. So you really won't want to redo a disguise unless you know it failed. Until a guy spots you, yeah. Then maybe as your your Galma before now be you know an elf. Those ears, those synthetic ears, they look familiar. <laughs> <laughs> along with disguise uh, self, there's a lot of other spells that if you use them as part of the disguise, they're going to give you a plus ten. Things like alter self, polymorph, shake chains they are all spells that if you cast them on someone, you're you're going to get a bonus to your disguise check. But along with that, there's divination magic that allows people to see through illusions. Uh, they don't penetrate a mundane disguise, but it can negate any magical component of your magically enhanced one. So that means the guy who's really good disguise check doesn't use any magic. He actually has a better time deceiving people who can see through magic, uh, who have spells to see through disguises. Right. If, For instance, if you just sit there, you know, you got your hat, hat of disguise and you use it and it just casts disguise self and you look like something different. If someone casts true seeing, they see right through that. You just look like you because all that disguise is composed of is the magic. Right. Whereas if you built it from scratch, it's a bunch of items. That's not, it's not going to work. True seeing's not going to work. Right. Escape artist is dexterity based skill and it does have an armor check penalty. This allows you to slip out of bonds or easily escape from grapples. It also allows you to squeeze through small areas. As a PC, hopefully it doesn't happen, but it does occasionally. You're going to get captured. You're going to get tied up. People are going to use manacles, ropes. Whatever they can to try and tie you up to keep you from doing stuff. Escape artist is a skill you can use to try and get out of stuff that's binding you. To give you some examples of the DCs, if someone ties you up with rope, the DC you have to beat is 20 plus the binder's combat maneuver bonus, which is a a pretty high check. It's difficult, but it's not impossible. If someone's tying you up in a net or anything that ensnares you, any spell that ensnares you, it's just going to be a DC 20. Manacles will be a dc 30 trying to squeeze through a tight space is going to be a dc 30 masterwork manacles are going to be 35 and if you happen to be being actively grappled by somebody else you have to make a escape artist check that meets or beats their combat maneuver defense that's right it takes one minute of work to escape from manacles or any sort of other restraint you know not counting a grappler escaping from a net or an animate rope or something like that that were entangles you is a full round action. Uh, escaping from a grapple or a pin is a standard action. And squeezing through a tight space takes at least one minute, maybe longer, depending on how long the space is. Can I try again, Christian? Basically yes, as long as someone's not observing you, um they're probably gonna try and stop you if they see you doing it, but you can try multiple times. This is the kind of skill that you want to take a 20 on. So if you don't succeed the first time when you take a 20, you're not going to succeed the second time. Right. But you can't keep trying just for, you know, the role playing, John, you're never going to get out. I can do it. Darn it. You've been here for five hours. Your bonds cannot hold me. <laughs> no, they, they can. They can. actually. Damn it. I'm sorry, Mr. T. You're done. Now we're putting you on a plane. We're handcuffing you. We're manacling you to the plane. This is the. Fa- this is fantasy how do we have a plane listen fine all right a dragon we're attaching to a dragon <laughs> with why do jet you have be, engines why do you have to be difficult <laughs> next is fly oh my god caleb i can fly i have points in fly it must mean i can fly oh my god that's so easy <laughs> so i don't need to climb ever no never because you can always fly wait a second that's wrong. What? <laughs> uh! Flying does not... Well, let's start from the beginning. Fly is a dexterity-based skill, and your armor does apply to it. So if you have heavy armor, it's going to be harder <laughs> to fly. Fly determines how good you are at flying. Granted, you already have a method of flight. Well, you apparently don't play with my house rules. You're <laughs> <laughs> because- absolutely right. You have to have some ability to fly. This This determines how well you can fly, how good you are at controlling yourself. You cannot put ranks and fly unless you have wings, or gliding, or you can cast fly every day on yourself. Some method of actually practicing and employing flight, you can't At put ranks and flight. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you're moving around while flying, that's when you're going to be making checks. You're going to have a fly speed, and the things you do while you're flying will take more or less of your fly speed. Your checks while flying uh, kind, of, kind of vary here. If you don't make any complex maneuvers... And you move at least greater than half your speed. No fly checks are necessary. You're doing fine. You're flying straight. Good job for you. Congratulations. You're Superman. Yeah, you're Superman. Go spin the earth in the opposite direction. Bring back your dead character. (laughs) You can also turn up to 45 degrees by sacrificing 5 feet of movement. And you can rise at half your speed at an angle 45 degrees. Get out your protractors, boys and girls. <laughs> Three-dimensional movement in Pathfinder is fun <laughs> and entertaining. Yay! I actually bought this like a little plastic I thing. I hope you remember the Pythagorean theorem. Uh, I bought this little plastic thing. It's like a, a little base, a little stand, a little base you can put on top. So you're like, oh, I'm flying. Falls over all the time. <laughs> it's <laughs> waste of money. We just use D6s. Stack them up for every 5 feet. Oh, that's so smart. You must have a lot of D6s. We do. Actually, we have a whole sack of them. Oh, because you have a lot of people doing sneak attacks. Yeah, and channel positive energy and things like that. At the beginning of your turn, you can move in a different direction than you did your previous turn without making a check, though. So that's good. You just can't turn direction in the middle of a move action. You can't be like, I'm flying straight. Uh Uh-oh, 180. Right. Then you got to make a check. And the difficulty of the check varies depending on uh, how difficult the maneuver is. If you want to move less than half your speed and remain flying, it's DC of 10. If you want to hover, DC of 15. If you want to turn greater 45 degree of angle by spending 5 feet of movement, 15. If you want to turn completely around, you're spending 10 feet of movement and the DC is 20. If you fly up at an angle greater than 45 degrees, that's 20. Because I, I, you know, these are kind of things you're going to want to do a lot. If you're, if you're like, uh, what's that flying guy that was added? Um, Strix? Wervian. If you're a Wervian or a Strix, you know, I just picture myself, I want to go straight up, okay? Yeah. So, like, it's I, actually not that easy. Right. It's not. You, you, they want you to kind of go in angles. Like, you don't see a bird just going straight up. You know, the, the duck just goes <laughs> like a rocket. <laughs> <laughs> so you remember you see ducks just stopping and 180 all the time? Time to migrate for the winter. <laughs> oh, no. We miscalculated. Oh, no. We used empirical <laughs> <imperial> missions. Yeah. <laughs> Reentry entry burned up. All right. It's it's important to note that these are difficult, pretty kind of difficult DCs. Mm-hmm. And most PCs aren't going to have access to flight um, until they get spells that do it. Or you're the Strix race, which isn't a popular race because it's very xenophobic. Right. But there are feats that make all of these things easier. There's specifically right. a feat called hover. Right. There's a feat that lets you turn 45 Absolutely. degrees without spending five feet of movement. So if you're someone that's thinking like, yeah, of being a character with flight... There are feat options for you that make this easier. Keep in mind that if you do pick a character who, has, who like a Strix, he is going to have it as a class skill. So it's going to help you out. Also, uh, you're going to – you need to remember you're probably going to use it most if not all your feats if you want to be really good at flying. Or you can try to put in a ton of points into your flying check because if you have a plus 10 to your fly check – you never need to make a check that's ten or below. You can move at half your speed and remain flying, never making that check because you'll always succeed. Exactly. So if you can bump it all the way up to a, a twenty, you know, f some of those feats, you don't need them anymore. Um, what what Caleb says is important. If you have a natural means of flight, you if you're strict, you get fly as a class skill regardless of what class you are. That's right. Attacking while flying. Now this is if you're picking somebody who's flying, you're going to be doing this. Uh, you if you're flying with wings and you take damage while flying. I'm sorry. Yeah. You're not considered flat-footed by flying, which is great. You get the dex bonus. Makes sense. You're kind of moving around with your <laughs> wings. Uh, we both did the same shoulder movement, guys. I'll picture this at home. Uh, it's very attractive. If you are flying using wings and you take a damage while flying, you make a DC 10 fly check to avoid losing 10 feet of altitude. That's where that 10 points of fly you spoke of is important. You don't have to make that check if you have a plus 10 to your fly check. Exactly. It's like, make a check. And you're like, no! <laughs> Sit back down. I'm sorry. <laughs> I got an 11. Um, I'm going to take 20 but you're in combat I'm going to take 20 <laughs> uh, it, so you guys know so obviously you probably aren't going to make a, it, taking any 10s while fighting uh, but uh, while you're not you know you totally can but that would be the goofiest thing looking in the world somebody's taking a 20 like because they want to fly straight up and like you see your Strix like, he's really going slow he's like I got this I got this I can fly straight up I know I can do it takes him 20 minutes I did it guys straight up <laughs> Yeah, the rule that applied to climbing, being able to take a 10 in combat, does not apply to flying. Right. Um, if you are using wings to fly, and we say that because there's wizards that don't need to use wings to fly. Uh, if you're using wings to fly and you collide with an object equal to your size or larger, you must immediately make a DC 25 fly check or avoid, to avoid plummeting to the ground and taking you know, the falling damage that would come with that. If you're falling and have the ability to fly, you can make a DC 10 fly check to negate the damage. This is something I don't see often used, but it's really that really can help. That can be the difference between life and death sometimes. Yeah, you imagine if you're a character that can fly, you should never really, like, you know, fall down a pit or something. Right. You, you can fly, God damn it! <laughs> right. And again, that that having the 10 points and fly is really important. Mm-hmm. This is... There's not going to be a lot of opposed checks for flying. There might rarely be, but there's a lot of flat DC here. So you can get your fly skill to so high and then leave it. Right. Fly so high. This is... I'll I'll let you guys, you can look up the table in the book or online here. But there is different wind speeds can affect uh, what the check is. You can modify that DC. And it's also dependent on how big you are. If you're a large class creature, it's going to take more winds to affect you. Right. And you can actually be blown away. Uh, So this is more important when somebody uses a spell. Like I think there's a spell that makes like a a wind tunnel. Wind wall. Yeah. um, Things like that. So uh, yeah, that might be... River of wind is another one Mm -hmm. I know of. So if you're like a little dwarf and somehow figure out how to fly, you know... Dwarves are medium sized creatures. I don't think they're medium? Yeah. Oh, sorry. If you're a, uh, a goblin that somehow learned to fly with their <laughs> inventive flying machines they got from Nikola Tesla, <laughs> or who's the guy that always comes up with um, like they always say, Da Vinci. You know, uh, <laughs> it's, all, it's also an Assassin's Creed 2 campaign. That's right. <laughs> With goblins. <laughs> oh, that's an idea. Um, I'm making one shot right now. Action, none. A fly check doesn't require action. It's me, it's part of a move action or another kind of reaction in a situation. Yeah, you're going to make a move action to fly, and then any check, if you have to turn, you know, 45 degrees or whatever, that's going to be part of that move action. Mm-hmm. Can you try again? Sometimes. If you attempt a fly check to perform the same maneuver, you can do that on supplicate rounds, which means like on my one round of my move, I failed the check. I can try again the next round. But if you fail by five or more, five or more at any point, you plummet to the ground, taking the appropriate uh, falling damage. Whenever you see something with a uh, fly speed, like a dragon or a strix or something, it's going to say, um, How good their maneuverability with fly is. It's going to be poor, it's going to be average, it's going to be good, or it's going to be perfect. What that means is that you get a modifier to your fly checks based on that word. A creature with clumsy flying is going to take a minus eight on all their fly checks. Poor flying, a minus four. Average, uh, zero, no effect. Uh, good flying will get a plus four, and perfect flying will get a plus eight to all fly checks. That's right. Also, your size will give you some bonuses. The smaller you are, the bigger your bonus. You're fine, you get a plus eight, diminutive plus six, you're tiny plus four, small plus two. You're large, you get minus two, huge minus four, gargantuan minus six, and colossal minus eight. So all of this really goes to tell you that if you have the ability to fly naturally, chances are you're gonna have, as soon as you start out, a good amount of points. And I think this is one of the skills that you can reach a precipice. Once you get, I'd say, plus 20, I wouldn't really put many more points to it unless you're in a campaign where somehow all the time you always get caught in wind tunnels and things. You want to put a couple more storm in. storm chasers, you know. <laughs> right. You might put a more points in to uh, make sure you don't get blown away or get some of those negatives. But generally, even if those things happen, with a plus 20, you'll do fine. 20 is a good thing to stop at. Mm-hmm. I I made a War character I just didn't play him But I had to do flying And they start out like clumsy And you're like oh, Really? Yeah Because I made a Strix recently And I wanted to be playing and oh, I, nice. had to, I had to learn all that shit I was like Oh god The best part is like You know like If I don't say anything My DM doesn't know this Yeah stuff. you know just, <laughs> The DM's one of my players Like trying it for the first time I can do whatever I want with flying Right You can <laughs> like I would like to move and sweep Attack and come in again I'm He won't make, make you make <laughs> a single check I'm gonna do a You know A Star Fox 64 Loop de loop This is another one. I have a brother called Wolf. (laughs) Handle Animal. This is a charisma-based ability, and it is trained only. So, you know... Your uh Uh, fighter can't handle animal very well unless he put the point in it. He can kick pigs, though. Yeah. (laughs) Your your anti-paladin's really good at that. No one's going to get this. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We'll make it the thumbnail. (laughs) This is going to be our recurring thing throughout every episode talking about kicking pigs (laughs) until someone figures out... (gasps) I was reading through the advanced class guide and I saw it. I know it you're talking about. one picture. <laughs> the one picture, but our whole thing we based our. I thought this team. was like a big thing. You guys are assholes. <laughs> Anyone who makes a class about kicking pigs, you get like you could be a, a third host for one day. Um, handle all right. So handle animal. You're trained at working with animals and you teach them tricks and get them to follow your simple commands or even domesticate them. Uh, kind of a thing that if you are a have an animal companion, you're going to have this. Ranger, druid, hunter, cavalier. I think that's a... Pet. Wizard's might for their familiar. Yeah, they're usually intelligent. Right. All right, that, that's something important I want to note before we even get the handle animal. If your pet has three intelligence. It can, hand, it can understand a language. That's right. Which makes most of this stuff useless, meaning this is a very low level ability. Mm-hmm. You're going to need this when you start level one and you've got your new animal companion. Or if you're just some guy that just likes to have a pet all the time. Now, your animal companion is going to know a certain amount of tricks. You use Handle Animal to both teach them, them tr- those tricks and then getting them to do those tricks later if there's stressful situations. Tricks are are kind of some simple things like come, defend, fetch, guard, heal. You can look up a full list here. Teaching them any trick takes a DC, uh, and the DC is fifteen for all of them except for a couple are DC twenty, but nothing's more than twenty or less than fifteen. Teaching uh, an animal takes about one week of work, and, and of course the successful check. And an intelligence uh, a creature with an int score of one can learn a maximum of three tricks. An in score of two can learn a maximum of six tricks. You can also push an animal, which has nothing to do with kicking pegs or pushing them. And actually, <laughs> it's uh, to get it to perform a task or trick, it doesn't know, but it's physically capable of performing. You make the same check as if you were going to teach them, but you're getting to do it right now. You're not training them to taking a long time. It's just immediate. And if they are uh, wounded or taking any sort of non-lethal damage or ability score damage, the DC will increase by two. But if your check succeeds, they perform the task immediately on their next session. So I never taught my weasel attack, but gosh darn it. There's this goblin that all of us have hit with our turns. It has one HP left. Go weasel, go! <laughs> Time to roll, handle animal. These checks are easier for druids and rangers and hunters because they always get a plus four when doing these kind of checks with their their specific animal companion. You can also use this skill to rear wild animals if you, you know find a wild squirrel or something and you want to raise it as your own. The, you can make a handle animal check. Uh, It's a pretty niche thing, and it's not going to have a lot of gameplay impact, so it's mostly something up to your DM. You can teach them a a group of tricks at once, like you can teach them a bunch of combat tricks or a bunch of labor tricks. Uh, It's just a simple one-time check, and you get a bunch of ones that kind of fit for that. Um, It just makes it easier so you don't have to spend 15 weeks. Um, Just kind of get the game moving along. You can rear an animal from infancy, so it becomes kind of domesticated, and you can have as many as three creatures of the same kind at once. And it can be taught tricks at the same time it's being raised, um, or it can be taught later as a domesticated animal. I mean, I don't know, your campaign must be going really long. Yeah. you know, like, I bought this little this little baby falcon, and he grew up with me, and I want to keep teaching him tricks. He's the best guy ever. You must have a really bookkeepy DM if he's someone that keeps track of all, makes you keep track of now all. I haven't you made these your check tricks. yet. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you make that DC 20 over the course of a week? <laughs> you failed. Try no. again. <laughs> okay, well, then he's not going to come. You never see him again. <laughs> Not that if that's the way you want to play, that's up to you. I'm just gonna make funny noises when I impersonate you. All right, pushing an animal is a full round action. Normally, just handling an animal is a move action. Uh, but what you know, druids and rangers can handle an animal companion as a free action or push it as move action, which is really good for them. If you need to push, you're gonna. It's gonna be more important for like a uh, one of those classes. They need to have it, be able to do it quicker. Can you try again? Yes, except for rearing an animal. You can kind of use this untrained. I know we said trained only. But you can you can use uh, the check untrained to push an animal if it's already domesticated, but you can't teach it, rear it, or train any animals. And that's such a niche thing. It's nothing you should commit to memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, something like – I kind of use this where – and this isn't in the book, but this is just what I do. If it's like a guy – you know, the gunshot goes off and the horse in your carriage freaks out. My guy's like, I want to try to calm down the horse. I let him make a check and I just make an arbitrary DC. I don't know, maybe right. 10 or something. Uh, it's not, like, really in here, but, like, it's something they want to do. And you want to be a yes man. You want to say yes, you can do that. So that's what I do, usually. Yeah. You should always check with your DM, but personally, I find this to be one of the most hand wave skills. Mm-hmm. If you're someone that's going to be have an animal companion and you're going to be dealing with animals, definitely put ranks in it. But don't go through learning the whole push and all the tricks and such, unless your DM's really going to be a stickler for it. We usually just let animal co- um, rangers and such use their animal companions just as ever they want without all these checks. And it never really tends to be a problem. When my uh, I had a ranger and when she leveled up and she, she and her companion learned, was able to learn a new trick, I just let her pick it when it leveled up, just like you would any character thing. Didn't tell her she had to take a week to train it or anything like that or make any checks. I just let her pick the one she wanted to pick. Yeah. And uh, I think the only time I became a little stickler about this was, um, like, generally, like, she would tell it to do things and let her do it. There was one point they fought a Medusa and uh, I say a Medusa." That's kind of funny you say it, but you can't have multiple uh, a Medusa, and she goes uh, she told her wolf look down and I said uh, I can't really think of can, convince me that you've trained it to do that before has there ever been a case where you thought you should train it to be mm, able that's to true, that's you, true. to tell it where to look if you can convince me I'll let you do it but I don't think and I don't see any tricks that say tell it where to look or anything like that That's the only time I think I've ever actually kind of been a little specific about it. Right. That's true. PCs do run into some extraordinary situations that will will require weird actions like that, which you will have to push your animal to do. Right. So I think you're right. I think that is something that they should consider. And you know what? I'm admitting that now that I've read this, it's my fault. I should have said, make a handle animal check, and I should have treated it like a push. Mm. That's my bad. Good thing it's, it didn't get turned to stone, so no, no big problems. Yeah, good thing it didn't have to look up because dogs can't look up or something like that. Is that right? I don't mm-hmm. know. I think it's a lie. <laughs> I hear it a lot, though. <laughs> you know. um, all right. But I agree. Hand-wavy. Yeah, very, very hand-wavy. Again, put points into it if you are the guy who's going to be handling animal, but don't commit the tables and the push into memory. Right, right. But, you know, like we say, almost every stinking, you know... Uh, Episode, know your, know your GM, know your players. Exactly. Your GM is is a, not a stickler, but if he if you know that he's going to put these rules out, then you know to memorize them or to do them. If not, then you know. Let's just move on. Speaking of moving on, heal. It is a wisdom-based skill, and this lets you to 10 wounds and ailments. Does this mean, oh no, I've lost HP. I'll make a heal check and get HP back? Kind of, but it's not supposed to be It's not going to be used for that long term. Please explain. Heal has a lot of different checks associated with it. It is wounds. But it's, magic is much better at that. Heal checks can be more for first aid, um, poison, disease, um, if you get a cow trap stuck in your foot or something like that. And there, there are a lot of things that are set in stone with the heal, and they just kind of throw stuff in here that's like covered by specifically the heal skill. Is there anything for treating acid pit burns? <laughs> you wish. <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, you know, the acid pit didn't do so bad as that stuff I slicked the walls with got in the wound, and now it's infected. Oh, now? Okay, I can do a heal check on that. Ah! Alright, let's talk about There's actually a, a bunch of specifics here. Uh, let's talk about just normal first aid. You can use this to save a dying creature. This was the kind of sort of complicated thing we covered in last episode. If his negative hit points, is losing hit points. Uh, you can make him stable. Which is the thing you always want to do, is, you know, put them in a a little wooden building where you feed them hay. Stabilize (laughs) them. I thought that was Handle Animal. I was using it on my teammates when they were dying. Is that why they died? Yes, that's exactly why. (laughs) If you put them in a stable, they would have covered HP. This is what we were talking about when you hit um, less than zero hit points. You're in the negatives, but you're not dead yet. You have to start making fort saves so you don't bleed out. Right. And if, unless somebody saves you, your fourth save can only temporarily delay it. A person coming in to make a heal check can permanently stop you from losing this. And team. they have to do this first aid check. It's a DC 15. So if you have a plus five to your heal, you can take a check 10 and you're always going to succeed at first. Good aid. to go. It's so, not in the middle of combat. Yeah. Well, there's long term care. This means treating a wounded person for a day or more. If you're successful, the DC's 15, their patient recovers hit points, uh, or ability score points, lost to ability damage at twice the normal rate. That means two hits points per level uh, for a full eight-hour rest day. Which is great, because normally to get double your hit points back, you can sleep for 24 hours. Yeah. But this, you can sleep eight and have help. Mm-hmm. Or if you do sleep for eight, you regain four hit points per level. But That's you, a lot. You do have to have someone making the check, though. Right, which means they're not recovering. Mm-hmm. Um, But this is really good, because ability point damage can take a while to get back. And this will help it come back much quicker. Yeah, the ability point damage becomes a big thing later in the game. Mm-hmm. You're, there's going to be enemies that arbitrarily have ability point damage thrown on there that make them more difficult to deal with. Right. And this is a great way to get by that. It doesn't require magic. By the way, you're gonna have to help me out with that because I like I have to use Hero Lab for ability points because it does so. It affects so many different stats. Is there an easy way to determine? Oh, <laughs> it sucks. Like no. sometimes I'm just like. This thing doesn't do ability points. Oh, yeah, yeah I just get okay. minus two to AC. Yeah. I'm <laughs> 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 um, Uh roarie. You could tend to as many as six patients at a time. If you're doing that, then you must be like, you're running a hospital. Your job is a cleric. Like, <laughs> yeah. you're a nurse. I, I did have a character that did that once, but it wasn't, like, the main thing he did. I just kept that Like, in did mind. you get him to make checks? No! no I, I never was in there like, okay, I'm uh, I'm treating at least six patients at a time. The DC is this. No. It was and like, you're like, oh, that patient died. You lost him. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. I had PTSD and stuff. Yeah, that <laughs> <it> was great. <laughs> you can treat PTSD. <laughs> Uh, you cannot give long-term care to yourself, because that'd be bogus. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sick, but I'm stitching up my elbows over the period of a Scalpel! Day. Scalpel! <laughs> I'm making the incision. I'm losing myself! Give me my defib, now! <laughs> <laughs> Cast lightning on me, quick! <laughs> lightning one. <wand. laughs> I don't use this a lot in my campaign, but I know there's a lot of campaigns that do, using spike stone, spike growth, caltrops... Uh, when you're wounded by that, it's kind of like a specific thing. You uh, like you move at half your normal speed and stuff like that. Uh, a successful heal check removes this movement penalty. The check is 15. This will usually be listed on the item or spell. For instance, Caltrop specifically state with a DC X. Um, heal check. The cow chop is removed. The spell spike growth is going to say on the stat block that a heal check removes it. Right. If uh, if you failed your reflex save on the spike growth or stone uh, or stone spike stones, uh, and your speed is reduced by one third, the other another character can take ten minutes to dress your injuries if they make the heal check. Uh, against the spell saves DC, so that you can move again. This is very specific. I've never come across it myself. Yeah. The the next one is actually a much more general application, and it's the one I see used the most. It's usually used at low level, before magical healing is very abundant. You can treat deadly wounds. What this means is that when someone has taken hit point damage, you can make a heal check which is equal to, uh, to dc20 you make the dc20 check and you heal them one hit point per level of the creature so if you're healing someone that's level five you make the dc20 heal check you heal them five points it takes you i think an hour to do this you can only do it once a day though which is kind of limiting but it's still it's a free it's free hit points that day if you hit uh, dc25 or more then you actually get to add your Wisdom modifier to the hit points that you are healing. Uh, If you have negative, you don't heal for less. Don't worry about that. You gotta have a healer's kit to perform this task. And when you do this, you expend two uses from it. Yeah, it's like Thieves' Tools with Disabled Device. You need a healer's kit to use healing for treating deadly wounds. Right. Uh, You get a minus two penalty on your heal skill check for each use from the healer's kit that you lack. So if you don't have a healer's kit, you just get a minus two? Yes. Yes. Uh, I'm a bad DM. I never knew this. Yeah, it's, it's something very niche because most people are going to buy a wand of cure light wounds right. and then touch themselves all day to heal themselves. <laughs> That's how I heal myself. <laughs> That's how I get all my troubles away. Treating poison. Poison has got a whole ton of rules I'm sure we'll cover in another episode. Yeah, basically, if someone gets poisoned, they feel their fort saves are going to start taking some sort of damage, strength damage, con damage, so on and so forth. But if your heal check exceeds the DC of the poison, uh, you receive a plus four competence bonus on your saving throw against the poison. Treating disease. This is kind of a, an interesting one. If you uh, you can tend to a single disease character and every time he makes a saving throw against the disease, you can uh, make a check. And if you're just like the poison, if your check exceeds the DC of the disease... Uh, the character receives a +4 competence bonus on a saving throw against the disease. It's helpful. disease is particularly lethal. When it comes to trying heal again, you can try again, but you have to. Your character has to have knowledge of whether or not the check failed. Where that comes into play is with poison and disease. You won't necessarily know whether or not they're cured immediately unless you have a spell that detects their, if there's still disease present. Because you know when they take 1d2 strength damage, it's not like a big number it comes over their head. They're just sitting there lying in bed. Right. But otherwise, as long as the person's still alive and you know that uh, you failed the check, then you can make the check again. Even if you somehow have a minus five to your heal check and you roll one and end up getting minus four, you can never actually hurt somebody with a heal check. So don't worry about failing and hurting them. Yeah. Um, with all the stuff listed here, I just wanted to note that the most common use of heal I actually see in games is a lot of us. A lot of my games involve people involving um, solving murders. There's a lot of mystery sometimes. Mm-hmm. Determining how somebody died is usually a heal check, and that's right. actually a very useful piece of information to know. Right. If you're running through a dungeon and there's a corpse on the floor, you want to know what killed that thing and how, so that you can be prepared for it. Because oh, that that thing's look like around. acid burns, and what's on his hands? <laughs> oh no, there's oil. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, John, he's missing the lower half of his torso. I I think we could have guessed. No. <laughs> We, I made a heel check and it was important. <laughs> the pit's right there. <laughs> it's the trap is still open. <laughs> you know, the most common I've seen it is to stabilize people. Yeah, that one. That one too deadly wounds, treating deadly wounds is useful, but like I said, you can just buy a wand of pure light wounds mm-hmm. and uh, you're good to go for the rest of forever. I'm definitely going to suggest it to my players now if, like, they're hurting or something. It's like, I only have one more spell, one more lay of hands left. It's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to suggest this to them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It does take an hour, but if they have the time, there's no reason not to. Uh, Just kind of like a quick aside, a lot, not a lot, I kind of do this sparingly. It's kind of like a fun thing. I'll put them through like a gauntlet-like a ton of stuff happens to them in one 24-hour period, or I, or maybe it takes two days, but they don't get a time to rest. So, like, they're really worried, like, they're going to lose spell slots or grit points or whatever. Like, they really have to use ac- you know, their economy well. Uh, this is something that could help. Like, we had no time to rest, or we didn't get our hit points back. I don't have... I've used a lot of my spells. I can't waste another Cure Light Wounds on us because I need that in case what happens next. This is a good time to use it. Right, a heal check. And actually, curing the ability damage is very useful. You usually have to expend spells to do that or wait a really long time because it's one point per day usually. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if you took, you know, eight strength damage, you're going to be out for a week trying to recover that. Right. And that's no fun. Never. Now, healing, is this kind of something that I want to keep putting points in as I level up? I do not believe so because everything's really a flat DC. You got your flat DC to first aid, your flat DC to treat... Deadly wounds and so on and so forth. Nothing really scales. And nothing's bigger than 20 except maybe the poisons and some diseases. And so you can always take 20. If you want, the reason you're putting points in this is so that you can do it in combat. Your guy's dying, you need to stabilize him, uh, or you need to give him hit points back right now. Actually, I think it takes too long. But anyway, if he's dying, you know, stabilizing. So I would think 10, maybe 15 is about the max I'd ever put in. I wouldn't put 20 points in this. If you have a character focused on that, I would, right. but you're right. As purposes for that, fifth, plus 15 is really good. Because then you can take a 20, you get 35. If the D- GM is throwing diseases and poisons at you with DCs above 35, right. you're not going to help with the healing. Right, honestly. Right, right. He's going to kill you with something else. He's kind of a jerk. <laughs> this is really for in combat. Um, this is... And when we say like put 10 points in, I don't mean put 10 points in it because you can only put in as many points as you're in level. I mean get a modifier that great. Yes. You want to get plus 10. You There's ways you can get like put five points and have a plus 10. Intimidate. This is a charisma based skill. And you pretty much use this to frighten your opponents or to get them to act in a way that benefits you. This can be used in combat and out of combat. Yep. You can use this just by saying something intimidating or display, or you can be the peacock and display your feathers. Yeah. Listen, I have a skull mask, I'm wearing plate mail, and I am holding a sword in each hand. Sit down. Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dog dare you. You think he just spent Michael Jack? Michael Jackson? Yep, that was Michael. Yeah, that was Michael Jackson. <laughs> <That> was- <There laughs> you know what? I'm, I'm intimidated. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Someone help! <laughs> 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 It's better than the joke I was going to make. I was going to say, do you think Samuel Samuel L. Jackson just spends every moment of his life trying not to say mother effer? Like, every moment just like, don't say it. Don't he say he it. can't say that in Neverland. Hey, Sammy, what do you want, mother? Oh, I messed up already. He can't say that at Neverland Ranch. <laughs> oh, man. That's, I have a feeling that's going to be brought up again. Uh, (laughs) You can use an intimidate check to do uh, two things. One is you can do it to force an opponent to act friendly towards you for uh, 1d6 times 10 minutes with a successful check. Uh, The DC is equal to... This is kind of a really weird one. And uh, funny enough, I've had it done this like a million times. People want to intimidate. And it's not just like a. it's opposed by their sense of motive. No, it's... 10 plus the target's hit dice, which is their level, if I want to break this down for you. if Unless they're like a weird race that gets racial hit dice, it's usually their level. Yeah, just simple, their level. And it plus their wisdom modifier. Uh, it's successful, the target gives you the information you desire, take actions that don't endanger or otherwise offers limited assistance. This is the goblin who you intimidate, you roll, you beat it, and you say, all right, there's a fork in this cave here, which way do I go? Okay, the left side is where we keep all the dogs and the right side is where the master is. All right, right. thank you. You know, that's You don't that say is. thank you, you hit him. Well, you kill him. <laughs> that's how you say thank you. <laughs> He's not living. Stab. you're welcome. I'll let you live, I promise. <laughs> but the other thing you do is demoralize. What's that? That's when you're in combat. You take out your sword and you point at someone and you're like, hey, you, I'm going to fuck you up <laughs> in particular. In this particularly gruesome way. <laughs> Your in-trails are going to become your (laughs) out-trails. It's the same check, 10 plus hit-die plus wisdom modifier. And if you succeed at that check with your intimidate check, then the target is shaken for one round. That's right. If you beat that check by five or more, for every five you beat it, that's extended by one round. That's right. Uh, Shaken is when they take a small penalty, a minus two, I believe, on their attack rolls and skill checks and so forth. It's got to be able to see you and be within 30 feet of you and uh, also hear you and, uh, this is one of the few times where you can't impose a stronger fear condition on something that's already shaken. You can't make it, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, frightened. Frightened. You can't do that with this. Yeah, usually if you cast, say, fear on someone, or you do an ability on them, a spell that makes them shaken. You cast that same spell again that makes them shaken. If they're already shaken, it goes up one. And then if you cast it again, they fail again, it goes up to frightened, which is when they run actually run away from you. Right. And drop all their weapons and run. This isn't the case. They, it can only make them shaken. Um, it's like in uh, I've ever seen Princess Bride where he's like I am Intigo Mentor you kill my father prepare to die and it kind of lingers the guy and he just <laughs> runs away <laughs> that, that's a great yeah that's a great example Um, this is a, this I haven't seen a lot but you can make a character design around this there's feats there's different like archetypes that can be really good with this I played like a guy who was like a werewolf and like for lore reasons I'm like I want to terrify people mm-hmm. so I took a bunch of feats and put a lot of points in Intimidate that way I could demoralize people in the middle of combat you know, you know, role playing as you know, I'm a werewolf. I'm saying all these vicious things. You probably haven't seen a werewolf. I'm trying to intimidate them. You can build around it, but it's not something I think you see a whole lot that players use. It takes uh, about uh, one minute of conversation to change person's attitude, but demoralizing opponent is a standard action. Which again, you can you can use some, like some feats and stuff to make that a move action or less. There's even a point where you can make it free. Yeah. Or like there's like like different like monk abilities where like I think it's bore. Where if you draw blood, you automatically get, you can automatically make an Intimidate against them. Yeah, there's a lot of archetypes and such that let you make Intimidate checks as free actions. Right. As a part of an attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can try Intimidates a second time after you failed, but each time you fail and try again, the DC increases by 5. And that resets after about an hour. Yeah. Um, you also get a plus 4 bonus if you're larger than your target and minus 4 if you're smaller, which means you want to make that Intimidating Gnome, well, you better put a lot of points. <laughs> yeah, or cast a large person on yourself That's and, right, and make it permanent. Um, important to note that, um, what throws a lot of players off of their starting Pathfinder is that this is a charisma skill. You can be a big bad barbarian with, you know, tons of strength, but if you dumped your charisma and you got a really low charisma, people actually aren't going to be afraid of you. You need intimidate, you need charisma in order to be intimidated. A good way to think of that is, uh, it's when you open your mouth. You're saying something to scare them. And if you have a little charisma, it's like, I'm going to beat you up. <sighs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you are. Uh, right. Yeah. I, it's how you wield that strength, I essentially. I think, actually, I'm 100% sure there's a feat There you is. Can pick. It's that, called intimidating prowess. You There's a feat where you can add your strength modifier to your intimidate check. Which, if you're someone that's going to say that barbarian, you'd obviously want to do that. Right. Intimidate is another one of those skills where um, I find it very... I don't want to say hand-wavy. When it comes to interacting with NPCs and such, uh, it's usually done pretty legit me, but I personally... Don't let intimidate checks happen to really, really important NPCs. Which sounds really cheesy, but you know you don't want an arbitrary number and an arbitrary high roll to make you know your BBEG suddenly be like, "Okay, I'll do what you want for one d six minutes." Right? It's it's very character breaking and it's very strange to think about. And you know, and few thousand years old lich isn't going to be afraid of some guy threatening to kill him that doesn't make any actual right, yeah. sense <laughs> i'll see you in 10 hours 10 yeah. minutes whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, is this the kind of thing that i want to put points in as i level up Yes, especially if you're doing demoralization in combat Because since it scales with the target's hit die It's always going to get harder as you level up and level. So if you're someone that wants to intimidate people You're going to want to always put points in it Knowledge, this is actually a series of skills They're all intelligence based And they're all trained only Knowledge is how educated are you in some certain field The field of engineering, the field of arcana uh, The field of local history, yada, yada, yada So you can look up what each section is for, but I'm just going to list them all real quick. There's Arcana, Dungeoneering, Engineering, Geography, History, Local, Nature, Nobility, Plains, not as in the, you know, things that are in the air, but as in, of existence. No, nor is it the flat areas of grass. (laughs) It's different planes of dimensions. (laughs) And Religion. Uh, Your DM might have a homebrew knowledge in his campaign, but Mm -hmm. these are just the ones included in the book. Uh, the check to answer question within that field study is a DC of 10 for really easy questions, 15 for basic questions, and 20 to 30 for the really tough questions. This is—the way I see this is, I mean, if I was to make a character, he knows everything. So, like, how do I know what he does and does not know? Does—do I know about the nobility of this region? Like, I don't know. Well, there's a whole—this there's is what this skill is for. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to write in your backstory that you know this and, this and this and this and this and this and this and this. Oh, I was grouping this town. I know this about this town and this about this town. If you want to know a lot about your local area, put points in knowledge local, and that's how you will. Uh, I mentioned this is trained only. How do you get these skills? You have to specifically put points into them. You can put point into any knowledge skill you have. Obviously, certain classes are going to have better knowledge about stuff. Wizards and sorcerers are going to know a lot more about arcana and planes than a barbarian. Barbarian's gonna know more about nature than those two. Mm-hmm. If you don't have any points into, it, I know you can't make it. You can't make it untrained. That means I just can't use my intelligence modifier. It means I can't try it at all. Correct. You can't. You can't try it at all. Okay. So if someone asks, I've been doing that wrong. Actually, I've been letting people do untrained. Yeah, if you that knowledge is actually a really important skill that everyone in the party has at least one of each one because otherwise there'll be an area of knowledge where your party is completely blank. He says one of each one. Uh, to be clear, that means that classes get certain class skills class knowledge skills yeah i mean everyone should have at least one point oh, okay yeah, yeah between all of your party everyone should have one point in one of the knowledges mm. at least so that you don't have a knowledge where no one has a point and you're right. like oh shit who's this noble nobody knows right Different. Now we have to go talk to them now. What do we do? Right. Different class skills do, do allow you to have different knowledges uh, as your class skills, so you get like bonuses to them. So those are the ones you want to focus on. Some classes are really good at bards. They get everyone's uh, class skill for them to train, and they can make a... I guess it's not technically trained. They can make the checks untrained. Mm-hmm. Now there's another thing that you can do with this, which actually I generally I think I use more than all other things, uh, is when my players ask me about this kind of creature. Like... Okay, this is a Shining Child. Do I know anything about this, Christian? What would you say? It depends on if you have knowledge appropriate to that creature. In the case of Shining Child, I believe it would be knowledge planes. You, you can make a, a check to identify a creature and properties about it as a free action. And the DC varies based on how rare the creature is. It's a really common monster, such as, you know, a goblin or a gnoll or something like that. It's just going to be 5 plus the monster's CR, which CR is challenge rating. So it's going to get harder the harder enemies you fight. Um, For rare monsters, it's uh, going to go up to 15 plus the monster's CR. But in general, it's 10. Yeah, in general, it's going to be 10 plus uh, CR. And then if you succeed at that check, you generally know the name of whatever the creature is. And according to the DM Fiat, you may know certain properties, like what kind of damage resistance they might have, what kind of weaknesses they may have, suppose it's weak to lightning or something like that. You generally get one bit of information and you get one more for every five by which you exceed the check. Mm Mm-hmm generally but i i, I kind of hand wave that a little bit if they get it right you know i just kind of give them what they should know i usually yeah look like i tell you the name a little bit about the lore and, and any d it has like you you want to watch out for bright lights from the shining child basically <laughs> right right oh you know that this thing's bite is it always inflicts a poison and you do not want to get bit by, by this thing you had a friend that got bit by it, and he had a bad time um why your friend was interacting with the Tarask, i don't know uh, <laughs> it usually doesn't take any action. I let people do it as a free action. Can you try again? No, you can't. When you make a knowledge check, you're actually seeing whether or not your character knows this thing. If you fail, that means that your character did not know whatever you were trying to right. figure out. Now, there is a specific case where you can make an untrained knowledge check. That's if the DC is 10 or less. Or if you have an extensive uh, a, a library that covers a specific skill, uh, you know, that limit's removed. There's a great big table in uh, in, the, in the core rule book, and probably online, uh, called knowledge skill DCs. It's great; you should look at it. and It tells you a bunch of things you can do uh, with different uh, knowledge skills that, um, and they're they're common DCs. You should look that up if you ever plan on doing any of those things. Do you think knowledge is a skill that you always put points into, or leave it at a certain number? You know, I think w- once you reach like I think 10, 15. That's good. Move on to another knowledge if you're really interested in doing more knowledges. I want to put much more than 15 because they're flat DCs, but there is, they do level up. If you're checking out monsters a lot, you're going to put more points in. But the point is you usually fight some varied monsters. You're going to want to spread that out through the different knowledges. True. That's, so so you that's don't want where it becomes important to spread it throughout your party. Right. I personally believe that certain people should have certain knowledges. Certain people should have other knowledges or if you have say a bard or a wizard, they're the ones that should be keeping up with that stuff. Even so, there's so many that I don't I wouldn't want anyone to put a plus 20 into any one specific knowledge. True, but I find some of them are pretty niche that you wouldn't need to like knowledge engineering. Right. Almost never comes up, it I don't think. A lot? Yeah. At least no. I don't aberrations, caverns, oozes, and spelunking. Though, boy, when you first meet an ooze for the first time ever, you better know everything about it. <laughs> what does this color mean? Does it eat our weapons or does it, you know? Eat our flesh. Oh, no, it does both. It's made of acid. It's not even in a pit. It came out of it and it's moving. I knew they didn't oil the walls it for a leaves reason. It a trail of oil everywhere it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Linguistics. Now, this is an intelligence-based ability, and it is trained only. This it represents your ability at working with a language, in both its spoken and written forms. Pretty much for every point you put into linguistics, you learn a new language. Yes. Now, there's a couple things when it comes to making a check with the linguistics that come into play. Uh, you can like decipher writing in an unfamiliar language or a message written in an incomplete or archaic form, and that DC is 20 for simple messages, You know, 25 for standard text or 30 or higher for intricate, exotic, or very old writings. You succeed, you understand the general content of the piece about a page long. if it fails you make a dc 5 wisdom check to see if you avoid drawing a false conclusion about the text this sounds like something could be a lot of fun but i never use I dc should use 5 it more. is the lowest check i've ever seen <laughs> that's really hard to fail well that's because it's, a, it's an ability check it's not a skill check yeah i know still you know, you know you're all you had base you got a 25% chance of failure right right these are two checks which again you make secretly so that they don't know if they drew the wrong conclusion um there's some modifiers. This isn't me you do a lot. You can look at them up, but pretty much how well do you know the writing? from Anywhere from a minus two to a plus two. Another use of the linguistic skill, which is a much more common application I see, is creating and detecting forgeries. You know, if you're that underhanded rogue, you have a couple points in linguistics, you can fake, say, a letter from the guards. You can make up a fake letter mm-hmm. from the guards saying, I'm allowed in here, let me do this. Or if you know you're in a knight's nice tale of pains of nobility... <laughs> If you're doing a document and the handwriting, if you're forging something and the handwriting is specific, you're going to get a plus eight on your check. If you need to forge a signature and you have a copy of that person's signature that you are trying to forge, then you get a plus four on that check. If you want to do a really large document in someone else's handwriting, you need some form of their handwriting to draw off of so you can actually create the forgery. Mm -hmm. Again, the check is made secretly, so you're not sure how good your forgery is. Like with the disguise uh, skill... Uh, you don't make a check until someone examines the work. And your linguistics check is opposed by the linguistics check of the person who examines the document, not a lot of NPCs or monsters have linguistics as their skill, right. so uh, you're going to be pretty successful most of the time, I think. Well, actually, like, you know, bookkeeper NPCs, I find, have them, you know, auditors. You would give them, you know, yeah, you're right, it's a good point. The, the um, clerk at the guard, captain, he's make probably going to have some linguistics. If somebody's going to ask for it, chances are they have linguistics. You're right, you're right. Deciphering a page of ordinary text takes about a minute. Uh, creating a forgery can take away from a minute to 1d4 minutes per page. Detecting your forgery takes about one round of examination per page. One round being six seconds. Right. Yeah, and you can always try this again. Is this something I want to keep putting points in? Since the pose, I'd say so. You also run to the problem that once you have so many points in linguistics, it's like, what goddamn language do I learn now? Because <laughs> I know literally every language. Right, right. I guess I'm going to get, you know, undercommon now, because that's something I'm going to use. But yeah, um... I think it's something, if your character's focused on it, you're going to be taking a lot of points into. But generally, you only get it to a certain point, and then you're like, okay, I can create forgeries, I can detect most forgeries, unless someone's really good at it, then yeah, that's good. It's not a very common skill to use, honestly. Yeah, I haven't used a lot of mine. I actually, there's two reasons why I put points in linguistics when I'm making a character. One is lore. My guy's a smart guy. Maybe he is, like, I, I ran a guy who like was a king at one point, or a ruler, I should call him. Uh, he, I, I had him, since I knew he would ruler, he probably would have to know a lot of languages. So I put up a bunch of points in linguistics and gave him a bunch of languages. I also like all my characters to have to know the four elemental languages. It's a personal preference of mine. Mm-hmm. So I make sure to always put four points in just to get those four elemental languages. If you're a summoner and you summon uh you summon elemental things, the ones you most common summon, know what languages those are. Learn those languages. Because if you can talk to what you summon, you can direct it more specifically. Yes. Otherwise it just attacks your enemies. That's that's all the book says. But if you could tell it get that guy, you need to be able to speak his language. Or say, you know, you know what abilities it used because you made a successful knowledge check on it. Then you can say, you know, use this ability on that guy. That's right. Or, you know, cast this spell. I know you know the spell, you little jerk. <laughs> Don't you hold that up. I, I didn't summon you to do your two slams plus flow four. I summoned <laughs> you to use eight another. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and that ends part one of Skills Detailed. Check in next time for part two where we cover the rest of the skills. Class dismissed. Pathfinder Academy is part of the Trailblazer Network. Visit our site for other great Pathfinder podcasts. I've been Nicholas Labord. Thanks for listening.